This is episode 111 of the Rising Man podcast with Charles Clay. Fear is the body's way of letting you know that you care. Blessings and good rising to you, family. Jetty Azuma here, bringing you another amazing installment of the Rising Man podcast. If we're meeting for the first time, then let me introduce myself as the host of this podcast and the founder of the Rising Man movement. Here at the Rising Man, our mission is to initiate an entire generation of men so that our children have the leaders and the examples to support them in the decades and centuries to come. None of it happens without community. None of this is possible without culture. So before we engage in our conversation today, let me invite you to become a greater part of the Rising Man family. Everything Rising Man related, all our content, all of our events, and other information is now living at risingman.org. So to become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement, go check out the risingman.org and see what we got going on over there. If you're a man out there without a men's circle, who's lone wolfing it, who's doing it all by yourself still, without the support of a team of men, then wait no longer. Join us inside the Rising Man Fire Circle. For just $67 a month, you get access to your own men's team, monthly training calls with me, guest presenters, and so much more. And if you're looking for other opportunities, men's initiations, gatherings, trainings, our Call the Warrior event that's coming up in May, we got Vancouver, San Francisco, and LA on the map for the 2nd, 9th, and 16th of May coming out. So if you're interested in any of these opportunities, Go check out risingman.org. All the information is up there. All right, let me introduce my guest for today. Charles Clay is a men's empowerment coach specialized in the healing arts as a neurokinetic pain relief therapist, breathwork practitioner, and he's also co-author of The Better Business Book and founder of Empowered Men's Group Training, Transforming Pain into Purpose. He's a celebrated guide for healing the emotional and metaphysical blocks that hold people back and encourages them to answer the callings of their soul. In this episode, we discuss how fear is part of being human, though we define the relationship in different ways. So we discussed and dissected what fear is and what happens in that dynamic. We talked about how we must decide whether to numb out from the pain that we're experiencing or lean in more to learn from it. We mentioned how our greatest tool is remembering that we control our attitude. We can be in command of our emotions and our reactivity. It's a practice though. It's a practice that we must develop and deepen into over time. We talked about Charles's intense story of a physically severe accident and what that did to him, his journey with pain and recognizing the metaphysical origins of the pain and how he navigated that. So any of you guys who are going through chronic pain or have been through physical trauma, Charles has a lot to say about that. And then we digressed into how world peace starts with inner peace, how we're all responsible for directing peace within ourselves so that we can create peace outside of ourselves and why normalizing conversations around fear and pain help us confront the truth. And last but not least, we talked about the lone wolf who never experiences fear or pain and how it's a myth and how the greatest pain that we experience is actually isolation itself. So all of that and more without further ado, Charles Clay. All right, fam, got another man joining me here in the studio today, the virtual studio, the Zoom studio. <laughs> My brother up in the Bay Area, Charles Clay, man, how you doing? I am fantastic, brother. Glad to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. And 
I actually didn't ask you this. You said you're originally from Washington State. Where in Washington State are you from? So uh, born in Bellevue, and then we grew up in Issaquah and North Bend, like Snoqualmie Falls in that area. So what is growing up as a boy in that area like? Were you oh, one of those man. kids that was out there barefoot in the forest all day long, or was it a little different? No, I loved it. It was a great place to grow up because we had nature everywhere. So yeah, we were blazing our own trails, kind of a smaller town, you know, with lots of nature and the, the mountains like 20 minutes from us. So lots of snowboarding and ice plunges in the river, you know, I've been doing that since I was a wee little kid and yeah, fishing. It was a great place to grow up. All right. But now you've been in San Diego area and now in the Bay Area recently. So do you miss being up there in the Northwest or do you like the lifestyle of being more in the city suburban life? I'm true and true. I love the beach, palm trees and sunshine. That's where my heart's at. I love going back to visit, you know, and Washington's beautiful. It's great to go on the nature hikes and take my little brothers out in the woods and um, show them the ways. But I really love the beach. I love surfing. The ocean is my favorite potion. So. <laughs> nice, man. And I don't know if you knew this, but I'm from New Jersey originally, right outside New York City. And my company line when I came out here, whenever anyone asked me, like, do you miss the East Coast? Do you miss the city? And I'd be like, nah, I just miss the people. But I recently went back in December and I realized it's more than just the people because I used to say that I miss my family, I miss my friends. But I miss the edginess of the city. I appreciate it now much more than I used to because out here in California, I find that people are a little more willing to just let you say or believe what you think you believe. Whereas people will challenge you back in New York, New Jersey. They'll say, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You know, and if they disagree and I like that. I like that. So it creates a little more of that discomfort, which I think a lot of people are averse to, but I miss that. It was good to go back to there and feel the edginess of the grunginess of the city again. There's a reason I'm out here. I'll say that, <laughs> that too. And what's the reason? Ah, well, aside from having met my wife out here and started a family, mostly it comes back to family. I wanted to raise a family in a place where I knew where the food was coming from. I was dying. When I came to California, went back to New York, and I was paying $5 for an overripe avocado that was, you know, the size of my thumb. For starters, I wanted to be closer to the sources of food that I was eating and feeding my family. And it just seemed like there was also a greater willingness and curiosity for growth and expansion here on the West Coast. And it's cool to see the East Coast is catching up now. That's why I was out there. I was brought out there as a keynote speaker and to talk about the things we're talking about here on the podcast. So Beautiful. I recognized I wasn't the man to go back there and build it on the East Coast. I'm happy right. to go back and bring my gift there, but I like what's going on out here too. Yeah, it's quite a treat. Wise man, good move. It sure is, man. Well, thank <laughs> you, man. And let's kind of migrate over to the conversation we're here to have. You know, we're going to start off in a topic that every man can relate to. I think every human can relate to because it's part of our survival and our way of being, and that's our relationship with fear, also our relationship with pain and what we can learn about that from the wisdom you have to offer and, and wherever we go. But before we get there, let's start off with me asking you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Great question. The one word answer would be growth and both not just physically, but you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and through and through, like coming to terms with why we're here. That resides as at least part of my journey into manhood. Mm -hmm. So you said growth and having a greater understanding of why we're here. Is there like a specific moment you believe that an individual boy becomes a man? Is it more of like a period of time of sequential events that occur? Yeah, I think it can be different for everyone. For this day and age, it's a level of initiations. You know, it's like 
sometimes we get to learn the hard way, <laughs> which we do a lot as boys. And then as we learn and move through these initiations, then comes a deeper wisdom and knowledge. And that equals less mistakes typically, but not necessarily no mistakes. You know, everybody is different. And I feel like it's not the same as it used to be in tribal you know, our ancestors had like very specific windows of, okay, it's time. You're a teenager. It's time for you to go off in the woods and find yourself. And so, you know, now it's like those journeys are coming back. Like now we're starting to see the value in that and that a lot of men are missing out on that, those initiations and seeing the results of that. So this is a great question because I think some people don't hit those initiations their entire life and some in their 40s, some in their 50s, you know, it's just everybody's different now. And so honoring that and then recognizing that. Mm -hmm. So relative to the conversation that we're here to have today around fear and pain, is there a differentiation, the relationship we have with fear or the relationship we have as pain that's different as a boy or your version of a boy and how we are with those two things as a man? Yeah, most definitely. I can just speak from my personal experience. As a boy, I would run from fear and pain. You know, it was like something to be avoided. You know, put your hand on the stove, <laughs> you know not to do that anymore. Right. And that doesn't feel good. So move more towards pleasure. Right. So in a, in a very basic sense as a boy. As I've matured and learned a lot of lessons and went through initiations, gained some amazing gifts and was able to improve that relationship with both fear and pain. And I think that has been a key to my evolution is really appreciating and finding the wisdom and the gold in our relationship with fear and pain because they're necessary. It's part of being human, you know? Welcome to earth. That's part of the game. <laughs> sure. Well, and it's interesting because I've had this kind of dialogue before. Well, first of all, I agree with you that our relationship with fear and pain is different as we mature. I know for me, it was understanding that fear, pain are natural parts of the human condition, but they do have value. At the very least, they're informing me of something. I had a mentor one time told me that if you're not afraid, then you don't really give a shit about something, which I thought was pretty profound. It normalized the experience of fear because I know as a child, I thought that to be a man meant to not have any fear. And I think it's important that we recognize that I'm afraid of shit every day. <laughs> There's things, I'm afraid of things at a different level. I'm not afraid of the things I was afraid of at 21 years old or at 25 years old, but it's still a very normal part of the human experience. Also, like you said, as boys, there was a tendency for me at least to run away from, to seek comfort from the unknown, from the edge, from whatever you want to call it, that would produce fear, would produce pain, anxiety in me. And that's where all of the greatest lessons of my life have come from, those uncomfortable places. You know, we're not saying anything that hasn't been said before. This is relatively a commonly accepted knowledge at this time. And yet every single one of us still has our inclination to seek comfort. And so I look to nature and I see there's no animal in the world that willingly accepts pain. I don't know what kind of skull that is on your wall, but let's, let's pretend that it's a cattle or something. The cattle doesn't go walk into the middle of the pasture by itself and say, come get me. I want to feel some pain. At least I think that's a very abnormal thing to do, regardless of what species you are. So the natural world doesn't say that we should invite pain into our lives. So 
how have we as humans taken this on? Because now we have, like you said, initiations, rites of passage that are about exposing ourselves to an ordeal or a discomfort to prepare ourselves for life. So why do we have to do that and other animals don't? Yeah, interesting inquiry. It's kind of like using that analogy with animals, you know, you could look at something as like a lobster, you know, they have these shells that they call home for quite a while, you know, their protection and, or even like a hermit crab, right? Like they have this shell that their protection that like keeps them from predators and from pain, right? So then there comes a point when they grow to a level that that shell becomes very uncomfortable. And that's when they get to let go of the shell and become very vulnerable in the name of growth and move on to growing a new shell or finding a new shell, a new level of protection. And so in that phase, that's very natural for animals, right? For humans, this day and age, I find it very unnatural with our culture. Instead of getting vulnerable and letting down our shell or our armor, it's so much easier to just grab a pill or get a prescription pharmaceutical that will kind of numb the pain and solve, you know, put a bandaid on the problem that way. You know, I think more and more people are awakening to the issues and problems that that causes. And here we are, you know, so now we have men like yourself that are courageous and moving into it to see what's there, leaning in to see, you know, this is something I can try to numb out with substances and sex, drugs and rock and roll and anything to feel different than this, or we can lean into it and feel what's present there and see what we can learn from it. And I think that's where the magic happens in, in the depths of despair and the heaviest emotions to some of the most powerful, painful moments in our lives are what can spawn some of our greatest gifts knowledge and wisdom that we can then share to complete that level of the hero's journey. Yeah, well, I appreciate the reflection because it helps me look at this as on a spectrum. So I think a lot of us have been led to believe and choose to continue believing that life is about comfort and seeking comfort and creating comfort, creating financial security as though that's a real thing. All of these practices, cultural practices, social practices that lead towards a greater illusion of comfort. Versus the other side of the spectrum, like I was saying, of willingly inviting pain into your life. I think that's just polarizing it a little too much because what I see is something more down the middle where there's a recognition that this is what life is about. Like you said, welcome to life. Welcome to everything not always going your way. Welcome to the things that you can't control because there are a finite number of things that we actually have control and influence over. And then there's the 99.9% .9 of everything else that's happening. So what I'm getting from this is that it's the changing the relationship with fear or pain is just recognizing that those events are going to happen regardless of that. And I think that other animals don't have the luxury of creating comfort around themselves, except for other animals that we've domesticated. It's sort of like right. <laughs> we, we revere all these animals that we see out in the wild because of how capable they are of being with discomfort. You know, seeing these animals that are just they're being hunted 24 hours a day. And you're just like, oh my God, the life of a gazelle on the African savanna is badass. Cause you never know if I'm gonna live or die one day or the next. There's a part of me that respects that tremendously. And another part of me that's like, well, damn, I'm glad I get to go home and lock my door <laughs> at mm -hmm. night, you right. know, so. Yeah, and it's even the most beautiful comfort zone that you can create eventually gets very uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's welcome to evolution as a human being, you know, having this experience. And that's all for a reason, you know? We're not here to just hang out in our comfort zones. 
we're here to expand. So, and really like, you know, all bad feelings, like emotionally and what we consider bad, right? We're the meaning makers of it all. So that's really underneath it is like you said, we can't control certain things, but what we can control is our attitude about those things, those experiences that happen to us and through us. So, you know, if you think about all bad feelings are just really stem from one thing. It's the dissonance between what we believe should (laughs) be true and what is actually true. And I think that's the root of a lot of turmoil and a lot of unnecessary, you know, what we would consider bad feelings that people are stuck in patterns of. Yeah. And one of those favorite personal development lines, the reframe is, it's happening for you, not to you. People must hear that and half the time be inspired and half the time be like, well, fuck you. I hate that. I don't like that. (laughs) You're telling me that this happened for me? The fact that I just got nailed by a fucking SUV when I was crossing the street? But I think it's also just important to acknowledge that a lot of times when we're in those moments, I'll speak for myself, it's hard to make that shift sometimes because we think that our intellect can override our emotions. Sometimes I think it can. Sometimes I can choose to look at something differently in the moment. But if I'm being honest, more than half the time, my emotions are getting the better of me. And that's part of the practice, I think, is that the you know fear as an emotion, learning not to let fear be the autopilot that happens, or at least tilting the ratio so that fear doesn't get to drive the ship the majority of the time and recognizing where that is for you. Because there's some people who, some relatives that I've got that I see them and they're living their whole lives in fear. People walking around in the streets every day, terrified, terrified of stuff. So wherever you're at, just starting to tilt that ratio. And so how do you find the effective practices for that real grounded physical practices, more than just intellectual concepts for changing relationship with fear? Well, One is, it's all experiential, right? So one of the greatest tools is right under our nose the whole time, breath. And that's what got me deep into breath work early on because it's a means of presence. And if you can breathe through it, you can get through it. And so wherever you're at, the stickiest situation, the most fearful state, if you can still breathe through it, then you can connect and move and begin the dance with fear. And so I think that's the starting point. You know, I can share a quick story. This is probably like when I think of fear, this is one of the biggest, you know, stories that came to me that was about a decade ago. And I'm up in Mammoth snowboarding with a couple buddies and it was a full on blizzard. There was snow coming from every which way. You could barely see a tree in front of you or, you know, your friend was like a blur. 20 feet in front of you. So conditions were so severe that they shut down the lift, but we're already at the top. I said, all right, let's just stay low, be ready for anything and charge the mountain. And so we're about halfway down the mountain, friends are in front. And all of a sudden I took a jump that I didn't know was there. And I just remember being in midair, feeling like I just went off a cliff. And it was that, that sensation of where like time slows down and fear just like hit me deep in my gut. And in midair, I'm like, as soon as the fear hit, it just was this massive contraction. And I tensed up. And as soon as I landed, it was like a lightning bolt just hit my low back and smashed my vertebrae. So here I am on the mountain in immense pain, like the worst physical pain I've experienced to that point. And I remember trying to yell to my friends. They couldn't hear me, couldn't see them. I grabbed my phone. It's dead. So I'm stuck on this mountain in immense pain thinking like, how the hell am I going to get down? And it's in those moments that you really find what you're made of. 
Like I had to channel my inner Spartan warrior just to kick my board off and sit on it and try to slide down as far as I could and then roll over, take a deep breath and then try that again. You know, so it's really my breath that allowed me to remember I'm still alive. I can get through this. You know, if I could just get another breath and so eventually make it down the mountain. Then I had to go see all these doctors and I just jacked up, you know, and they're showing me x-rays of telling me that I might never move the same again and that I need surgery as soon as possible. And so that was a huge dose of fear. You know, it was like the, the feeling of like, well, I never move again. Like this is the greatest technology on the planet are human bodies, you know, and I'm, my whole background's in health and wellness and my degree in kinesiology. So like to hear that kind of news is devastating. So that fear just was moving through my blood and I was able to use breath to calm my nervous system down just enough to make a powerful choice in deciding that I wasn't going to get surgery and that I promised myself I would try all means necessary of healing naturally first. And so that took me on an, an amazing journey. I remember like barely being able to crawl to the bathroom. I was in so much pain and I just finally surrendered to it and just felt into it. And that's when all the emotions came up. You know, the fear of never knowing if I would still move the same again, the shame of not even being able to get up and go to work. And, you know, um, the sadness of like just feeling pity for myself, you know, like all these heavy emotions that I was carrying like a backpack from my earlier life that I didn't want to feel and that I was hiding and stuffing with alcohol and marijuana and, and drugs and all kinds of things to just not feel that, so just to numb out from it. So finally, in that moment, I just was cracked open and allowed it all to come out. And then I sat in each of those heavy emotions and said, okay, now I'm open to receive all answers to healing this. And that's when I dropped into meditation. And it, in, during that meditation, I remember hearing my phone get a text. And after I checked, and it was a friend I hadn't talked to in years, and he said, listen, I heard your back's messed up. Check out neurokinetic therapy. And so he took me on this, you know, just opened up new ideas for me of what's possible, studying the work of David Weinstock. And he's able to get answers from the body really quickly from muscle testing. And he's, you know, helping people that have had chronic um, neck pain from whiplash to low back pain and, and um, getting to the root cause and showing them how to correct it in, in minutes. So that was my path. And I just followed my intuition, had my first session. And I walked in there, you know, looking like Shakira, like stuck in a mid hip dance move, you know, like my hips on one side of bodies. And, uh, and that was representative of my body was showing me, you know, as the representative of my subconscious was showing me how out of alignment it was with my purpose at that time. You know, it was like teaching health and wellness, training clients, and then going out on the weekends and being self-destructive because I didn't want to feel um, the real emotions that were present for me. And so um, this was a huge initiation for me. And, and in that, um, I gained some amazing gifts because I went on to study neurokinetic therapy. And now I get to help other people that are considering going to surgery and give them other options and get answers from the body. And it's just profound that the, what we find, you know, and, there's, and the common denominators, you know, of um, what's going on inside the body and then 
and then coupling that with you know the emotional element that's involved and the metaphysical aspects that are um, that, that underlie all of these um, reasons for pain. And so it's been um, it's been quite a journey. And I just look back and say I'm so grateful for that amount of pain and that happening through me and to me and for me because of the gifts that I gained from it. So yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a tremendous story. In hearing you and listening to your story, it exposes a bigger problem that we have in our society where we don't talk about what's really going on. We don't talk about our pain. We like to show people what we know, where we're shining, where we are experts. You can be an expert in the body and not be taking care of our own. And some things more than others are easier to hide. I'm appreciating the synchronicities of my own story. My background's in physical therapy. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I've been doing that for over a decade. And I remember when I was in some of my most painful moments, I was working with people in the office, helping them, giving them advice, giving them direction, leading them into health and wellness. And I was pretty much high for three years straight. I would wake up, smoke a joint in the morning, get on the train, go to work, working with people while I was high. And obviously all the things that go with that cascade, the shame of being a guy who has to smoke weed in order to fill in the blank, being a practitioner and telling people to do one thing and not backing up my advice myself. So that's somewhat of an epidemic in our culture, in our society, this fear, if we're talking about fears, fear of looking bad, looking fear of looking vulnerable because of what that will mean. I believe that every fear that we have, you know, you could be afraid of the dark, right? I think every fear ultimately leads down to the fear of death. So if you could take any one and trace it all the way down to, well, I'm afraid that if people see that I smoke weed all the time, that they won't trust me anymore. And if people don't trust me anymore, then they're not going to come see me at work or I'm going to get fired. And if I get fired, I won't be able to pay my bills and da, 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 all the way to I might die because I won't be able to take care of myself. So it's interesting how you can look at it and see that it's the same chain of events. We're all experiencing it. Some of us are more willing to bear the banner of that on the outside and some of us are not. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Some research even suggests that we fear exile from our tribe even more than death. And some well, some they're synonymous, research, aren't they? Yeah, right. I mean, to be exactly. exiled from the tribe means death anyway. Isolated death, yeah. So it's all similar, and that is why there's all these masks. That's why there's all these facades, and you can see it anywhere on social media. Everybody wants to put out the perfect life, you know, living it up. And even if that's true, you know, like what about the other end of that? We're here, the human experience is about contrast. You know, we can't understand white without black. So it's just fascinating that finally it feels like this day and age that people are coming forward and taking more and more of the masks off and like being authentic, um, showing their true selves. And instead of being exiled, like people can relate and then it creates this level of vulnerability and then vulnerability allows for deeper connection. And then all of a sudden we have a stronger tribe because we're deeper connected. So this is where the deep healing works. You know, this is like what our ancestors have been doing with men's circles around fires for the ages, you know, as far back as we can find being able to express what is on their hearts, whether it's good or bad and being able to burn that, you know, to forgive themselves. And that's just where some of the deepest healing comes from. And we get to bring that back in to this day and age. And it's happening, man. It's like, 
creating a ripple effect and everybody is, is stepping up for their personal initiations. And I just have a lot of hope for humanity right now. And I really believe in world peace, you know, and it all starts with inner peace. Yeah, man. And if we look at the root of some of these problems, that fear and pain are not ordinary parts of life. And if you experience them, that they're shameful in any way, right? That's one belief that's been passed around that doesn't serve. But then also that if you do experience fear or pain, that you should retreat into a hole and handle it yourself because that's what people do. That's what men do. Man up, take care of your business, you know, which I don't like throwing anything out entirely. I do think that being independent is a value and a virtue that we should have, but healing from some of these deeper wounds, these deeper beliefs that we have, even just to have a reference point that that's not unique. <laughs> and to me, I always say that's the biggest thing when it comes to this men's work is just relatability. To say, hey, you're afraid that you're not going to be able to pay your rent this month? Me too. And I know that he is too, because we just had a phone call and he told me the same thing. Because there's a healing that comes from that. The normalization of it demystifies it and limits its power or the authority that it has over us. It's like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not the only person in this? All right. And that now I can ask for help from someone who knows more than me. You were talking about, was it the neurokinetics? Is that what mm -hmm. it was? Yeah. So with the neurokinetics, you didn't know about that before. And you had right. to learn about that from somewhere. You're not exactly. just going to make that up or, you know, kind of matrix it and just have them plug it into your brain. <laughs> you, you need to, <laughs> you need to, yeah, right. All of a sudden. <laughs> so we do rely on each other for survival. And so it's interesting when you really reduce it to that, that the lone wolf who never experiences fear could be the single belief that is responsible for so much tumult in the world. It's like, wow, everybody ought to be flipping that narrative and screaming it from the mountaintops. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. You're afraid? That's okay. Me too. Just that. If I heard that as a 12-year-old, different story. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's wild, these programs that are still running from when we're children, you know, and pick up these stories that we create about ourselves. When I was... 10 years old, the woman I loved most, my mother committed suicide. She suffered from depression and alcoholism, and she had a heart of gold, but just didn't feel safe here. And so I remember specifically sitting next to my brother at her funeral and trying not to cry because my role models entered the belief in my mind that men need to be strong and that men don't cry and that we need to just handle it and show strength. And so that took so many years to unravel and to find my tears again, just from that one program installed at such a young age by role models. It wasn't even my dad. It was like, you know, older kids I was hanging out with. And so those are the things in each of our lives that are coming up to be felt, to be healed. And there's emotions from that that took me a decade to finally tap into and be brave enough to heal and man there's just so much liberation on the other end and there's so much beauty and even the depths of sadness you know so three years ago i lose my father and this is my hero you know the man that's been stood for strength and taught me everything growing up and to see him just on his deathbed and be there with him all the way to the end and his friend coming over and singing a song and just like crying my eyes out like a river in front of him and witnessing him get to see me in that state. And I thought like, why have I been hiding from this sadness? 
like this is an expression of how much he means to me. This is a way of showing my father like how much he means to me that that he's leaving from this plane and I won't see him physically again after this. So I actually found just immense gold in the depths of sadness and and that's been such a blessing because, you know, tears are beautiful. And it's that whole, man, that whole program around men not crying, always having to be strong, doing things on our own. I went through that whole program of like, okay, my stuff's coming up, off to the man cave. Let me process it, wait till I'm superhero status to come back out again and save everybody else. It's just an old, played out, slow way of evolving. And I learned that the hard way. And so on the other end of that, through coming so close to death with the ones that I love the most, I've really got to lean into the gold in that, you know, that we're mortal. We're here for a short glimpse, get to enjoy these temples that we call homes for such a short time. So how could we make the most of that? You know, like being that close to death and the ones that I love so much has allowed me to really fully live life while I'm here. And it reminds me the importance of presence is what I would like to share with everyone is that that is the greatest gift that you can give yourself and others as presence. Just being there with them fully because we don't know how long we're going to be here or they're going to be here. So that's what counts. And I just feel blessed to, and I'm always open. So now I look at like what I'm feeling as through a lens of curiosity. You know, it's like, what can I learn from this? Even shame and grief and whatever wants to come up to be expressed and healed, that is what's present. And if I can give that my presence and allow that energy to metabolize in my body, this too will pass. And then on the other end of that, there's the contrast of that. So now I'm able to hit new heights of joy and excitement and love and expansion that I never even knew were possible. I'm getting married in four days and I'm just ecstatic, you know, I just hitting like new levels of commitment. And I could have never gotten this far had I not had the courage to feel and heal all those heavy emotions along the way and move into and build that relationship with fear and death and see what's on the other side of that. So I've dedicated my life to that and to creating that container for the lone wolves, the men that think they need to do it all alone, just to show what's possible. Like when we get groups, when we bring our ancestors' rituals into modern day, the what's possible, the power in numbers, it's insanely epic what happens when men feel held and safe to express and heal in these type of containers. And it's happening and it's creating a ripple effect and for all the men out there that are trying to go it alone, there's an easier way. There's a better way. And we're here for you. Like, I know what that's like. I know how isolated that feels and how depressing that can be. And there is so much to rejoice in. But by joining in and sharing your fear, you know, like you said, this is all stuff that we're all dealing with in our own way. And why not come together to do that in a better way? Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll disagree with you on what you said about it being easier because uh, in my experience, being in circles with men, especially edgy circles where men are not going to let you believe your own bullshit, I've actually found it to be a lot harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, It's definitely a more effective way I've found in life is to uh, step into those spaces. And yeah, I agree with everything else that you said. The theme of death is really fascinating to me because 
not only are you going to be a married man in four days, but you're also going to be a father in the very near future. So congratulations to that. Speaking from the perspective of a parent, probably my greatest single fear at this stage of my life is the death of one of my children. The single most dear thing to me in my life right now, which is hard to explain, and I don't really want to try to analyze it, but that's just the way it is. My kids, their survival, you know, them carrying on and having a good life, the best that I could give them is the chief importance for me. So to imagine anything happen to those little adorable little kids, it's hard. It's the way that other fears used to feel for me when I was younger. But those fears were more about me, more about me, my life, things happening to me. I don't, my own death right now, I don't fear death. I, I don't welcome it either, but I want to be around. <laughs> but I don't fear my experience of death, but I do fear leaving my kids without me to be there for them. That's a real fear that I have. And so it's interesting how the fears evolve. It's not necessarily something I can do anything about. And I look at, again, I love to look to nature. I follow a lot of these Instagram accounts with, they show the gnarliest parts of nature, right? Like, hey, this is happening on the same planet you live on, even if you don't see it every day, just a baby getting its head ripped off by a predator. It's like, oh my God, that parent of that child must be devastated. And yes, I'm sure that there's loss there, especially other mammals that can experience emotions similar to ours. But life goes on. And so I know that in order for my kids to become everything that they can be, they're going to have to toe the line, you know, go face to face, toe to toe with death. And that's just a scary fucking thought, man. <laughs> Especially my son. My daughter is not there yet. Maybe it's because she's still so little and her personality hasn't come through like that. But my son is a daredevil, dude. Like he's... I just know he's going to be doing some stuff that's going to give both myself and especially my wife a heart attack. So it's... Does he get that from his dad? No, man. I was, I was, I was the most conservative, (laughs) good little boy, non-risk taker. You know, that was not, I had to learn how to take risks. My man is like already ready to fly. And so part of that is him learning how to reel that in. So anyway, man, yeah, it's just interesting how the relationship with death as a component of fear and our experience of life changes over time. And going all the way back to what you said, man, it's just part of life. It's something that we either can face off with or we can retreat from, but you can't run away from it. There's only so many doors you can hide behind until you hit a brick wall. Totally. And the more we can accept that, the easier life will be, even in men's circles when it gets hard. <laughs> Accepting like I'm getting called out on my shit. You know, this is way easier than spending another year or two in my man cave trying to do this on my own and barely getting anywhere, you know? So it's all relative and acceptance is key. And that reminder, like even you dancing with the fear of maybe dying or leaving your kids here or your kids die, even dancing with that allows you to remember how important this moment is. Your kids are here now, you know, like how much more present can you be with them because of that, you know? And like, I think that's the beauty of life and death and the contrast that we only get to experience here on earth as far as I know. So yeah, immense appreciation in that. Thanks for sharing that. Right on, man. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation, this dialogue about fear, because it's a funny thing. And it's a, something that none of us can really avoid. So thanks for bringing that to the surface and sharing whatever light you had to shine on it. As we start to wrap up here, I've got a couple of lightning round style questions I'm going to ask you. And then we can finish off by you letting us know where we can follow you, find you, and get yeah. involved with your work. So you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So what is one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Mm, one thing I wish I knew when I was 18, and there's so many of them. Let's see. Let's just go with, it's okay to feel. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Love. Love. Beautiful, brother. 
And last but not least, where can the good folks out there follow you and check out what you're doing? Anything that's coming up on the horizon you want to mention? Take it away. Yeah, our next Empower Men's group training is coming up. We have a men's mastermind. That's all kicking off next month in February. So if any of the men that are feeling stuck or trying to handle it on their own or feel the courage to step forward and ask for help and finally move through what's holding you back and help you discover your true purpose, then don't be afraid to reach out. You can find me at charlesclay.coach. It's the same on my Instagram. And then on Facebook as well, tune in to some of the lives we're putting out. And if you resonate, don't do it alone. Have the courage to ask for help. Beautiful. We'll make sure we put that up in the show notes. Hey, man, congratulations on your wedding. And when is the baby due? April 24th. If she's anything like her mother, she might come early. Yeah, <laughs> that's right around the time we'll be celebrating my daughter's first birthday, man. So Amazing. Uh, be thinking about you and thank you for everything that you do, everything you're bringing into the world simultaneously, going being in your work. I know what it takes to be a new mm-hmm. husband and a new father. So mm-hmm. wish you the best of luck, man. Thanks for being here with us today. Likewise, brother. Thank you for the work you do. You got it, man. Be well. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode, this interview with Charles here. Another amazing man and brother to connect with. So go follow him. Go check out the work that he's putting out into the world. Make sure you guys sign up for our Rising Man Fire Circles and join us inside the circle so you can get inside the work. If you don't have a circle of men around you, I can't emphasize this enough, guys. You got to get one. There's no excuse now. All you need is a Wi-Fi signal. So if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have access to that signal. So get yourself inside the fire circles with us for this next month coming up. Also, you guys have probably seen some of the content we've been putting out there, but we have our Call of the Warrior, our one-day Call of the Warrior event that's coming out where we learn how to access our masculine power, boost our confidence so that we can be the men that we say we want to be in the world. And we do this by learning the traditional Maori war dance of the haka, taught by my brothers Leon Ruri and Jamie Schuster, coming out all the way from New Zealand by way of Australia. And it's going to be a powerful day. So if you guys are up in Vancouver or in San Francisco or in Los Angeles, or you want to meet us out there for this one day event, we're going to be in Vancouver May 2nd. We'll be in San Francisco on May 9th and Los Angeles on May 16th. So go check it out. More information for that is going to be up on risingman.org this week. So go check it out there. As well as show notes with links and resources for this episode and every other. And in fact, everything Rising Man related is at risingman.org. So just go pay us a visit over there and see what we're doing. All right. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice, wherever you're listening to us. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement for all of our newest video content that's coming out primarily our monday morning meditation episodes that are now video and podcast format so go give those a look hit that subscribe button so you get those notifications as well Shout out to my Rising Man Power team, as always, Mr. Sean Offenbach, Rowan Tyne, Julian Subic, Mark Rose, and our newest Power Team member, Mr. Ryan Wilcox. Good to have you on board, brother. Thank you guys for everything that you're doing. For everybody else listening out there, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.